Welcome to Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life, The Feminine Rising. My name is Julie Paulston. I am your host, and I am so absolutely honored that you stopped by. Each week, I'm going to be sharing my own personal journey, and I'm also going to be interviewing some incredible people that will be sharing their journeys as well, in hopes that we can educate, motivate, and inspire you to live the best possible life that you can. So grab your favorite beverage, maybe a snack or two, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Because at the end of the day, this truly is all about you. Welcome to episode four. So I'm just going to tell you that if you ever hear snoring in the background of my podcast, it's because I'm not the best at editing. I'm just going to tell you that right now. But if you hear snoring, it is not me. That would be the lovely little Lumpy Lou. She is my dog. She's my best friend and she is in my office. And so if you hear that, please forgive her. She's uh, having, having a good little nap. So when I started this podcast, I promised y'all that I would leave nothing off the table, that I was going to talk about my life. I was going to bring guests on here to talk about their life and their journeys. So today I decided that I was going to tackle a subject that I have lived with since I was 12 years old is when I started, but I didn't start my recovery until I was 21. Yep, I'm talking about recovery, alcoholism, addiction, that kind of stuff. So I started drinking when I was 12. Don't ask me why. I was just cool. But then I realized the more I drank, the less I had to feel. I will tell you that I had a magical childhood. Every single counselor I ever talked to is always like, so tell me about your childhood. Where did everything go wrong? Dun, dun, dun. Well, nothing went wrong in my childhood. I had cool parents. My mom and dad were like the coolest people ever. My brother and my sister are incredible human beings. I am the oldest of three. Somehow, I lost my mind and went off the rails. When I did that, it was just something to do. However, I found that the more I did it, the less I had to feel. And when I was in high school, I did it to fit in. Because even though I was quote unquote popular, I still didn't feel like I fit in. I felt like an outsider. I felt like I didn't even know who I was in my own skin. So I drank my way through high school. I mean, I tried cheerleading, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm not quite the cheerleader type. I preferred drinking under the bleachers and cheering on the football team. <laughs> so after high school is probably when I really kind of cut loose. My mom and dad got me an apartment and I proceeded to destroy the said apartment, figured out that I could get into bars, even though I was only 18. I could get into bars and my life totally turned around when I discovered drugs because drugs really altered my mental state and it took me to a place that even now was amazing. Like the different drugs that I took. The challenge was, is that it also destroyed the relationship I had with my family. When I started taking drugs, they took over my brain. All I could think about was how was I going to get my next high? 
I destroyed the apartment and ended up living on the streets of Seattle. It was different. It was challenging. I remember waking up, sleeping on a park bench. I slept in alleyways. Uh, most of the time, I just found the cool people who were partying the hardest and was like, hey, so where's the after party? Because I knew that if I made quote unquote best friends with them, that I would have a place to sleep. I met people, crashed and did the whole couch surfing thing. Then finally, I ended up getting a job selling magazines door to door. Don't ask me why I thought that was a good idea. Probably because they lured me in with saying, hey, we're going to travel across the United States and you get to sell magazines door to door and you can have the chance to win this amazing trip. I'm sure you guys have had some of those people come to your door, these kids that are selling magazines to win a trip to someplace in the world. Hmm. I can tell you that's not accurate. The one thing I really did like about that job is number one, I did get to travel. We traveled all over the country and I got to eat at some pretty cool restaurants and some pretty bougie places. However, uh, doing that, I got arrested, uh, spent some time getting paid in drugs, traveling with people that did not have my best interest in heart. I ended up in Hollywood, Florida, and they were getting ready to go back across the United States. I was in Hollywood, Florida which if you don't know, is just a little bit north of Miami. It was amazing. Good grief. I got a job as a cocktail waitress. Yep, I was underage. They didn't really care. I was cute and they needed help. I got this job. I was a cocktail waitress. I figured out that the people that drove the big cigarette boats that came up after they ate, if they knew that you were quote unquote down, they would tip you with cocaine. I would go to work. I would get all of my tips. I would go get alcohol and I would proceed to obliviate myself all night. And then I would sleep on the beach most of the day. At that point in time, I thought that my life was just rock star status. However, one night in the middle of a blackout, I called my mom. Lo and behold, <laughs> My mom showed up. She had my sister with her. I will never forget the look on their face, the pain, the disappointment. And even though they tried real hard to, dis to uh, hide it, the look of disgust for where I lived, what I did, and what I was doing. My mom told me, Julie, your sister and I are staying down at the Howard Johnson. We are flying back out tomorrow. You have a choice. You can either stay here and exist as you are and probably die, or you can come home. If you come home, there will be rules. You have to go back to school, and there's a program that we want you to attend. It took me about 24 hours to make my decision. I didn't want to die. Something inside me said, Julie, if you stay here, you are going to die. And I didn't want to die. And I miss my mom. I miss my sister. I miss my dad. I miss my brother. Because as I traveled across the country, I destroyed the relationship with them. I used money. I used their phone number. I charged tons of stuff to their house. I was a just complete disaster, epic disaster. When I got home, 
I went through the program. It was called the School of Urban and Wilderness Survival in the Deserts of Idaho. I think my mom thought that it was going to clean me up, which it did because you were out in the deserts of Idaho for 21 days and you ate flour and bugs and whatever. I, I don't even remember, but yes, I did eat crickets. The thing was, is that I thrived out there. I was the oldest. They had to make an exception to take me. So I was the oldest and I'm out there with 11 and 12 and 13 year olds, Jesus, that had the same addictions that I did. And I became this like, Pied Piper. And so everybody followed me and, and I didn't really learn the lessons that I was supposed to learn. So when I came home, I decided I was going to go through beauty school, went through beauty school, started going through beauty school and whoops, I ended up pregnant with my oldest son. I didn't know I was pregnant until I was about four and a half months along in those four and a half months along. Let's just say that when I got home and I had my apartment, I went right back to doing what I did. I just hid it better. When I realized that I was pregnant, I stopped doing all of the things. I decided that I was going to be a mom. Well, after I had my son, my addiction took over and I ended up giving my son up for adoption at two months old. That's going to be another podcast. When I gave my son up, I remember them driving away with him in the back seat. And in that moment, the thought crossed my mind, Julie, your life is going to radically shift now. Unfortunately, it wasn't going to shift in a good way. I dove off the deep end. I felt immense guilt, overwhelming shame, just, I mean, who was I to just give away my baby? My family was disgusted with me. My dad was mad at me. My sister was heartbroken. My mom was heartbroken. My Everybody in my family was heartbroken. They knew it was the best decision, but they were heartbroken. After a while, I, <laughs> I decided that I would spend my time at the bars. I would do whatever it took to make sure that I lived in oblivion and did not have to think. I thought I was doing good. I mean, hell. I had a job, <laughs> I did hair during the day, spent the nights in the bars. And it was really funny because one night I was in the bar and I was just, whoo, tore up. I was having a good old time. And I met this guy. He told me that he was a cook at a treatment center. Now, in my brain, I was thinking that a treatment center meant sewage because that's all I knew about was, you know, treatment centers were for sewage. And I thought, Huh, so there's a job that you cook sewage. Well, that's interesting. I gave him my phone number and proceeded to blow him off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was an entertaining night. Well, the next day I'm at work, he calls me and told me that I could make it up to him and uh, invited me over for dinner. I, being the gracious guest that I am, brought a bottle of wine. He proceeded to throw it out the second story window and told me, Julie, this is clean and sober housing. What's that? He said, everybody here is in recovery. Okay, from what? Well, we're all alcoholics and addicts here. Whoa, slow your roll. I gotta go. Because <laughs> I wasn't one of those people. I wasn't homeless anymore. I didn't need recovery. So we started dating and I would drop him off at his AA meetings and I would go to the bar. One night he invited me to a candlelight meeting. 
And I had told him over and over and over again that I did not have a problem. I didn't need to go to a meeting. In fact, I was getting a little bit tired of, of the pressure. But I thought, you know, what the hell? I'll just appease him. I'll go to one of these damn meetings, whatever. Better buy me something cool or take me out for some good food. So I went to the meeting. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to these people and I'm thinking, yeah, no, nah, Jules, you don't belong here. You're not one of these people. Until this woman told her story. The minute she started speaking, it was like she was talking about my life. It hit me. What I thought was a good time was me running from my life. What I thought was a party, fun, great life was actually painful. I'd lost my family. I mean, we talked, but we weren't close. My brother and my sister pretty much didn't want anything to do with me. And in that moment, that was August 29th, 1989. That was the last time that I drank. And that was the best decision I ever made. Has it been an easy almost 31 years? <laughs> Hell no. Because there's a difference between being sober and being dry. I did the whole AA thing. I realized that I did better when I went to counseling. I was sober for a year, ended up back in treatment because I knew when my grandpa died that if I didn't go to treatment that I was going to go back out and I did not want to do that. When I talk about sobriety and when I talk about my story, if I had cancer, society would rush to find a cure for me. If I had diabetes, getting insulin and being taken care of because I have a disease would be no big deal. However, when you tell someone that you are an alcoholic or an addict, the whole game changes. Society is getting better, but we have to do so much more. The amount of guilt and shame that alcoholics and addicts carry is something that I can't even begin to describe to you. If you've never met anybody like me, or if you've never met anybody that is in recovery, expand your horizons. I might guess that you might know someone that just doesn't even tell you. Because we keep it anonymous for that reason. Because so many times when you tell someone that you're an addict or an alcoholic, it's instantaneous judgment. So we keep it anonymous and we keep it moving. I have so many people in my life that the reason why we drank, the reason why we used, the reason why we did what we did truly was to cover up pain. Now, I'll remind you, I had a phenomenal childhood. I didn't want for anything. We skied on the weekends. We had a house out on Daybob Bay. I mean, I had the coolest life growing up, but there were things that happened that hurt. There were traumas that happened that at the time, I didn't think were that big of a deal. However, it morphed into something that was a huge deal. I have 31 years damn near 31 years, August 29th, Gus Willing, I will have 31 years. That to me is a huge accomplishment. 
I think that if you just have one day, you should be doing a dance of joy. If you have seven days, you should be doing a dance of joy. Hell, if you have one hour, you should be doing the dance of joy. If you have someone in your life that is struggling with addiction, remember at the base of their addiction is a human being that is covering up some pretty massive pain. In the cycle of addiction, people are like, well, why don't you just stop? Well, I tried that. I tried to stop. But what happens is you stop and then your demons come and visit you and they get louder and they get louder and you feel bad. And all of a sudden you feel the guilt and the shame. So the easiest thing to do to not feel the guilt and the shame is to use again. Well, then you compound using again with even more guilt and more shame and it just becomes a shit show sandwich. When you get clean and sober and when you decide that you don't want to live like that anymore, it can be the best decision that you'll ever make. In fact, I know it's the best decision that you will ever make. It also will be the hardest decision that you ever make. I will always stand by my brothers and sisters in sobriety. I will always stand by those that have not been able to conquer their addiction or have not found a way to live without their vice. I will stand with the people who struggle every day of trying to find their way out of the darkness because that's, that's a big hole. It's a dark hole. I don't recommend it for anyone. If you have someone in your life that is in recovery, celebrate them every day because when you are in the throes of addiction, you only have three choices. You can either get clean and sober, you can go to jail, or you can die. I chose life. Every day when I wake up, y'all see the, the ones that are friends with me on Facebook, you see my pictures at the beach. That's why I get up every morning. I choose life every single morning. Are there hard days? <sighs> Oh my God, yes. <laughs> there are days that, whoo boy, let me tell you, there's nothing better than a ice cold beer or shot to take away the pain. However, I've learned that that shot or whatever it is that I want to put in my body is only going to take it away for a very short period of time. I don't want to ever go back. So every day I choose me. Every day, I choose my recovery. Every day, I choose to live my life the best way possible. It's not easy. It's not fun sometimes. Society, I, I remember being behind the chair <laughs> and having clients talking about people that they knew that were alcoholics. They would whisper it, you know, Julie, they're drug addicts. I was like, awesome. Because beyond that, yeah, they have a, they have a drug addiction. They're, they're an alcoholic. Y'all, they're a human being. They need understanding. They need help. If you, are in, if you happen to stumble across this podcast and you are in the throes of addiction, there's help out there for you. You are always worthy of help. You are so much more than your story. Your story will save someone else's life. 
You are worthy of healing. You are worthy of sobriety. You are worthy of discovering who you are and who you were before the world decided to tell you who you should be. So if you can, reach out. Find someone. Get your ass to a meeting. Find someone that you can trust and start your sobriety today. If you have someone in your life that has decided that they are not done with their journey, and let me tell you, you can wish them sobriety, you can pray their sobriety, you can throw them into treatment, and they will go right back out because until they have hit rock bottom, no matter what you do from the outside, they're not ready. So the best thing you can do is get yourself help so that you can learn to manage your emotions around their disease. It's a disease. There's mental things that happen when you take drugs and when you drink. It's a disease. It's a dis-ease of the body. It's a dis-ease of the mind. It's a dis-ease of the human condition. And I'll say it again, the human condition. So if you can help someone, do it. Just don't hurt them. If you have to walk away, it's probably one of the hardest things was to see my mom look at me and tell me, Julie, we're done. We love you, but we're done. Until you are clean and sober, you are not welcome in our home anymore. Because I'd lied, I'd stolen, cheated, gone to jail. <laughs> Whew, I have a story. The one thing that I do know is that my story can change someone's life. My story can be the hope and the spark to help someone see the way out of the darkness. I will never, never be ashamed of my story. Never. There is nothing that shame can do to me anymore. Because here's the thing. Shame lives in secrecy and in darkness. If you can share your story, it's no longer a secret. And when you step into your power and you step into your light and you step into the God-given, beautiful, divine human being that you are, shame no longer lives there. And there is something incredible that happens when you can shine the light on shame. So I would invite you to shine the light on your shame. Find someone, find a counselor, find someone that specializes in addiction therapy, find someone that can help you to find that light. Because there's always hope, I promise. There is always hope for you. You're not broken, you're not a horrible human being, you're not disgusting, you're not any of the things that you think you are. You are a beautiful gift of the divine. And in the divine lives you and you live in the divine. You are worthy. You are enough. If you could only see how enough you are, you would never, ever doubt yourself ever again. So find the people that will lift you up. Find the people that will help you celebrate that first hour that you were sober. Find the people that will help you celebrate that first day, that first week, that first month, that first year, that first 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, all, I don't care. Find the old timers, listen to their stories. If you know somebody that's struggling with addiction and you stumbled across my podcast, share it with them. Because the more we share and the more we shine the light and realize that addiction is something that can be overcome, 
And then when you find the people that lift you up and when you find the people that give you hope, there's nothing better in this world. I'm so glad that you hung out with me today and allowed me to share that story. It's a long story. There's so many things that I left out because <laughs> I do need subjects for the rest of my podcast, you know, because I do need to tell some other stories. I'm really, really, really glad that you're here. I'm glad you're hanging out with me. If you love this podcast, I would invite you to rate it, review it, subscribe, share, download, you know, all the social things. I'm still getting the gist of it. I mean, hell, I'm on episode four. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening and I appreciate you hearing, not just listening, but hearing my story. Next week, oh my gosh, I am so excited. We have the incomparable Shannon Dunn who is going to be here. She is an intuitive healer. She has developed a program that dives into the archetypes of our design as human beings. And she is, she's a badass Australian. Anyhow, she's going to come and hang out with us next week. After that, I'm going to share another story. And then we have some incredible guests coming up. I would love to see you next week. I hope you have a beautiful, magical rest of your day. And because it's Wednesday, now you just get to slide on into the weekend. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. I appreciate you. And remember, you are loved, you are treasured, you are adored, you are worthy, and you are so more than enough. I hope that you were inspired. And if you were, please feel free to download, share, and leave a comment. I would be eternally grateful. Thank you so much and have an absolutely magical day.